0: Hey everybody, this is SoHeidi and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts. And this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable. Launch your own label or become a successful freelancer. We'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 15 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Kathleen Fossanella, author of one of the fashion industry's best resource books called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Sewn Product Manufacturing. Kathleen's a trained pattern maker with almost four decades of experience and now owns a factory in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In the interview, she shares why speaking the right language can help factories and vendors take you seriously, how to make sure your production stays on track so you don't get bumped to the back of the line, and why designing isn't always as glamorous as
1: it can seem. What designers really do in real life, I would never, ever want that job. Designers in real life have extremely difficult jobs. You know, they're basically, it's not basically, they're, they're project managers,
0: Before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you, you can help the show out and make it easier for others to discover by leaving a rating on iTunes. If you enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take 60 seconds to do that. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating, and thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 15. Now, on to the interview with Kathleen. So... Tell us just a little bit about kind of who you are in the industry and what you do.
1: Okay. Um, I'm a pattern maker and I've been doing it for 37 years. Um, I started my career working for brands back when we still had factories in the U.S. and everybody manufactured their own stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started freelancing uh, in 1995 so I guess that's twenty two years now. And um you know, I I'd been doing consulting before then. I'd been I was you know, it, the term consultant was always kind of a was a it was not it was not something you ever wanted to admit to anybody in in you know, polite company that you did. Um <laughs> uh, it's funny how things have turned around, but so I was a production troubleshooter. Uh, and so I would, you know, went through, you know, different plants, mostly in the Americas and would do troubleshooting in those factories. So they would be, you know, optimized and, you know, I did training, but in factories. So it's kind of been, um, you know, strange, I guess, different, certainly, um, just the turnabout how things, you know, work now. Anyway, um. So about two years ago, I guess I, two and a half years ago, I just got bored, and it was becoming in You know, I do my work, I do the pattern and prototyping and the training and all that kind of stuff, and then pass it off to contractors for the contractors to do production. And then um, what happened was, is it was becoming increasingly difficult, more difficult for me to find contractors who could do the kind of work that we that we're known for here. We don't. We do more higher-end type products. You know, we do complex production, um, coats, suits, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Certainly more complexity as far as products are concerned, not tees and not T-shirts, yoga pants and that kind of stuff. We don't really do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, in order to find contractors that did more, you know, complex production, it was just becoming harder and harder and harder. So we decided to open up our own factory and then – you know, um, thought it would be a good opportunity to realize some long-term goals that I had that kind of, you know, things that I've been working on through the years and just was never able to do it in kind of a more expedited fashion, which is specifically the manufacturing boot camps that we do, which is, a, it's it's strictly a charity. People just, they don't understand, you know, they, you know, think that they're supporting me and my business by signing up for boot camp. And it's like, no, we lose money on this, you know, but we bring people in twice a year. We bring volunteers in from all over the world. And over four days, we cut and sew products that we then donate to charity. And um, the products that we make are complex. We don't, again, we're not making T-shirts and sweatpants. You know, we're making children's coats, you know, children's winter coats, uh, this last spring, we do it. We do it in the fall. We do it in the spring. And in this last spring, we made 200 pairs of pants. Um, most of our products go to needy kids on New Mexico uh, reservations. Um, we are dead last in every economic indicator and social indicator in the United States. You know, we're like 50th place for everything. Mm. Um, so we keep our products here, and we bring people in from all over the world and. You know, it's very successful. Um, it's we don't really we don't really need to advertise it. You know, I do an announcement, and we're full. You know, I announce six months in advance when registration is open, and we fill in thirty minutes. Wow. You know. That's yeah.
0: amazing. And what yeah. type of people are coming to this this boot camp, and what are their goals? Are these people who just want to have a further understanding of the manufacturing process, or are these people who are doing it to to help and and give back on a charitable level, as you mentioned, or, or what are some of their goals in terms of attending the boot camp?
1: Well, we have a range of people, which which is great. I like to have a, a whole cross section. Um, I'm pulling up the bios of these people, but um, for example, some people want to start their own lines, okay? Mm-hmm. So they they want to know more about the process and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people that are employees of other companies. So we probably have, oh, probably, I'm going to do a count. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, probably about 30% at least 30% of the people who come already have jobs in the industry and they work for other companies. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of times their companies pay for their training here. Mm. So, and then other people are just, you know, curious. And, uh, frankly, I wish we had more of them because, um, you know, some of the designers that sign up, they basically don't have any skills, but, um, the few we get, we get home sewers, people that sew as a hobby,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, we get a very small percentage of them, but I really like them because the ones that are brave enough to sign up for this usually have really solid skills and they end up being quite valuable. They might not know much about the industrial process, but we do complete training here. Um, but they have good handling, they understand construction, they understand how things go together. You don't have to explain to them that you need to backstitch, you know, when you're starting and ending a seam. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually don't have any uh, requirements. I mean, it, we take people first come, first serve, which means we get, you know, we have, let's see now, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, about 30% of the signups for this next boot camp basically have no experience, you know, or, or so little. Ex- yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've done this before. We, I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of the cool thing that we do is that we're able to take, I mean, there's no trick to getting a bunch of very experienced people and doing what we do, churning out a hundred, you know, winter coats or 200 pairs of pants. If you've got a crack team, you know, people with a lot sure. of experience, it's quite yeah. another thing. If you've got 30% of your signups, don't even know how to sew.
0: <laughs> but this is so cool. And this is something I've had conversations with other people about. So I would love to get your insights. Um, a couple things I've heard you say in other interviews that, you know, you guys are slammed and you and correct me if I'm wrong, but you get more demands than you can handle in terms of manufacturing. Um, and one of the challenges is finding the labor to support that. Is that yeah. correct?
1: Yeah. And okay. that's one of the reasons why why we do this with the idea that people will see this as a viable career, um, and especially in technical support, because everybody wants to be a designer. But what people don't realize is that For every designer position, there's something like, you know, you need at least 10 other people to, you know, 10 to 20 other people to support that position. Mm -hmm. So we're very top heavy right now. We've got all these people want to be designers and nowhere, not even close to the number of people to support them, you know?
0: And, And so, so what this leads to, which it sounds like, um, some of the conversations I've had with other people could be correct from what I think I'm hearing you say is that if I'm interested in breaking into fashion, but like you said, there's a million designers and a fraction of that uh, in terms of job availability, it's really, really tough to get in. So instead of going to design school, spending a bunch of money and then having a really hard time finding a job, I could take this alternative route, go learn some of these skills from the ground up and, and build, which I think could ultimately lead to a million other opportunities, but just taking this as an alternative route where there is a lot of opportunity for me to find a job, to learn a skill that's needed. What are your thoughts it, on that?
1: Well, well, the, a job is what? As a designer, is that an alternative route to being a designer? What do no, you say?
0: not as a designer. I mean, I think as, as you and I have already discussed, it's, it's really, really saturated. It's really tough, but I want to work in fashion and on some level, and I want to get my foot in the door and maybe I don't have the means to go to college for four years and get some type of a degree. And so I see this as an alternative route to breaking into the industry on some level and, and getting all this exposure to all the fascinating stuff that goes on behind the scenes.
1: Yeah. But yeah, the, but the, the other thing too is, um, you have to be a tech, you have to be technically oriented, mm-hmm. you know, um, A lot of people aren't entirely sure what that involves, you know. Um, People have this idea that, you know, I like to bring people in here because they can see what some, like, what my job is really like. I think they just think that, you know, here it's just a bunch of drudgery, doing the same thing every day, it's not interesting, and it's like, and they want to do something creative, and, and that's actually quite insulting, you know, because we're not drones, we're not robots, Mm -hmm. we also need to be involved and engaged in our work and we need to be um, inspired by it and and have a mission and be happy with what we're doing and and doing good work. So, you know, I am nothing if not creative all day long, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but it's solving problems so somebody doesn't go broke or, you know, somebody orders 45 inch wide fabric instead of 60 inch wide fabric, you know. That really takes some chops to make mm-hmm. that happen for somebody without you know them getting buried, so you know i i think it's I think this is a great business to be in um, and I think that if somebody's interested in getting in the business that's great um, but You have to to be inclined. You know, you have to have mechanical aptitude. And the thing I run across over and over again, women who sew, they say they have no mechanical aptitude. And they don't understand, no, sewing is the very definition of mechanical aptitude. Mechanical aptitude doesn't mean working with machines. It means putting things together. Mm Mm-hmm. So as long as they can tap into that and then, you know, be affirmed and all that, then they do great. Like, um, you know, my assistant, she'd, I can't, you know, she'd never handled a screwdriver when she started here. And it's like, well, you know, Chica, you're going to have to, you're going to (laughs) have to, you're going to have to pick up that screwdriver. And and now she's, I mean, she's fearless. Well, she's not fearless. She, you know, has fear, but she goes, she works through it anyway, Mm -hmm. you know. So she's really great.
0: So would you say a good litmus test for someone thinking that maybe this could be an alternative route for a career path um, if they can sew and enjoy the process of that, would that be a yeah. good indicator? okay
1: that's good that's good and then also i I think as for t- it's like okay as a designer, you can come into design from another And, you know, if you're an artist or something like that and you've got connections and you've got good horse sense, you know, you can come into the business and make a career as a designer. Um, The reason why they offer that, why, you know, you basically have to have a design degree these days to get a job otherwise. And it's mostly just to limit, you know, all the, you know, it's to winnow the field. You know, there's just so many people. It's just one way to eliminate. Um candidates for consideration mm-hmm. um, excuse me this so um, the thing about uh, this end of it is so I mean in my opinion you re- you really don't need to have if you're going to get a job um, and you don't have a design degree, somebody basically already has the infrastructure set up to support that position. But in a smaller operation, you know, it's not necessarily true. So you really need to have some kind of design background. Now, for technical positions, if you want to do something, if you want to do something more than just be a line stitcher, um, you really do need some education. Mm-hmm. You really do. You can you can wing being a designer without a design degree, but you probably should have some kind of degree. Um, and I can get back to that in a minute. But for the technical positions, you really you need to take pattern making. You need to take construction. You need to take textile science. It's it, it would just be I can't imagine somebody becoming, for example, a pattern maker, um, which is a very simplistic job title to describe a product design engineer because mm-hmm. it's an enge- it's an engineering job.
0: It's very complex, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I just can't imagine somebody doing my job and not having some training. So – and I think – personally, I think community colleges are great. I think two years at a, commu- at a good community college and, and you're – you know, L.A. trade tech is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard good things about Seattle Community College. Um uh, El Centro College in Dallas, these colleges that are maybe off the beaten track, people think of they think of f i t and mm-hmm. they could scad and stuff like that, and you know those schools don't have a good reputation for for technical support you know and and this is the other thing people out there listening they think this sounds boring and everything, but let me tell you, I make twice as much as designers do you know pattern makers you know just because we're not leading the process and we're not in charge and we're not in magazines or whatever. It doesn't mean that we're poorly compensated. We are very well compensated.
0: And there's a high demand for that, yeah. for that placement. Correct. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah.
1: Cause it's a hard job and you have to be able to take people yelling at you all the time, <laughs> blaming you for everything. So you have to have a thick skin. Yeah. You know?
0: I think you have to have a thick skin anywhere in the industry. Um, but you know, obviously certain roles are, are a little bit, uh, more intense than others. And I, am fascinated by the engineering. Um, and like you say, pattern maker is a very simple name for something that is genuinely insanely complex and technical. And the engineering that goes into turning flat fabric into a three-dimensional form is fascinating. Um, so I, I think it's brilliant what you guys do and it's not a skill that I have.
1: So, okay, so I think that's a
0: really interesting alternative route, and I'll, I'll link to all those um, community colleges that you mentioned in the show notes, and that was going to be my next question is that I think there's opportunity to get education on this without spending an arm and a leg and looking at community colleges and vocational schools um, and, and then maybe even you know, getting real behind-the-scenes experience by doing something like your guys' boot camp program, and combined, you can take that up and package it up into a really great skill set that's very marketable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Probably, probably, um, just having an interest in the technical side of it instead of just wanting to be a designer, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit more also about, um, You know, you guys manufacture and you work with a lot of designers, I I think on a varying scale from small independent designers to more established brands. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about the process. So, a lot of people in the audience are wanting to start their own label, or maybe they already have their own label. And I think one of the challenges and one of the questions I get all the time is, you know, how do I even go about finding a manufacturer? And so, I'd love to kind of get some insights. On you know what the process, what's the best process people out there can follow, um, when when they're when they're thinking about approaching someone like you, or you know what does that even look like, and how would you advise people to go about that in the smartest way possible?
1: Okay, well first we need to back up first. Okay, Mm -hmm. there's there's two. This business has become increasingly splintered between. New companies and new ideas, and uh, I don't know what you want to call it, okay? People who have just a different vision and mindset of how things should be done Mm -hmm. versus people who are established and have been in the business for years, okay? Okay. So there's a big split right there, okay? And basically, most of the new people fail, I I don't know what the failure rate is. Probably ninety five percent. I don't know. It's super super high. Um, People who do it more traditionally, um, in other words, the way that it should be done. (laughs) I mean, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy what people are doing. Um, You know, people that prepare. Um, and prepare beyond what they've decided that they're willing to do. In other words, you know, they want to go on to a blog and see a YouTube video two minutes or, like, see this podcast, and then they're ready to manufacture. Right. No, no, not happening. You'll be one of the 95% who fail. Yeah. But the biggest piece of advice I could tell anybody on this program who is listening who really wants to make it is semantics. I mean, vocabulary terminology matters so hugely. So right now you said, for example, you came to me and you were talking about you're looking for a manufacturer, looking for a manufacturer over and over and over. I, I would write you off immediately, mm. just, just immediately. You know, I would just go on, look for a tactful way to end that conversation and move on. Okay. Because legally, this is not my opinion. Legally, you are the manufacturer. I don't know how many times I keep telling people this. I am a contractor. It's a legal definition. It's not semantics. it's not you know I realize that there's all these people you go out on the web in this space and you see everybody talking about manufacturer and they're talking about somebody like me mm-hmm. legally legally, I am a contractor mm-hmm. so right- so right away, I know somebody who either doesn't want to bend or doesn't pay attention okay mm-hmm. so the thing with manufacture is that manufacture does not mean that you actually cut and sew it under your own auspices. It means that you are the brand. In other words, every time somebody says, oh, I'm just a brand, what they mean is, no, you're a manufacturer. The brand is the manufacturer. So there are plenty of people. There's all these businesses out there now that feed on new people. Okay, We call them vampires. Okay, And they love it when you talk that way mm. because – They know you don't know anything. I mean, if you're describing yourself as a brand and you're looking for a manufacturer, automatically they know you don't know anything. And there's just no other way to say it. So you look for a sewing contractor. If you look for a sewing contractor, your experience will be completely different. Because all of a sudden you're going to find people that you had never known were there.
0: So would that be true even for if I'm just like blindly diving into Google to start doing some research, and instead of looking for apparel manufacturer, I type in apparel sewing contractor.
1: Just type in sewing contractor. Don't even type in apparel. Okay.
0: Okay. So there's my first step, and and again, I I don't uh, I don't have expertise working stateside, and and I know that it's it's doesn't matter. The terminology is still the same, but in my experience, I've always said manufacturer. So that's really fascinating to me. Um, and a really great learning point. Um, because regardless of where I'm manufacturing overseas, stateside, I'm still working with a sewing contractor.
1: Correct. Okay. And, and you, and you are, I would, you're the younger generation. Do you Mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There's a, there's like a break between people who worked in factories Mm. who, who literally worked for manufacturers Mm -hmm. and now we're all freelancing. We're all contractors.
0: Okay. So my first step is to approach it as I'm looking for a sewing contractor and understand that I am the manufacturer and I am outsourcing to a sewing contractor to physically make the product.
1: Right, because all the liability, all the liability of the brand rests with the manufacturer, in other words, the brand. Mm -hmm. And this is extremely important, even if you're not making, like, children's clothes, for example. Sure. Okay? Um, I mean, it's a matter of law. It's federal law. It's IRS. You know, it's Federal Trade Commission. I mean, so it's not like it's my opinion or Mm -hmm. whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, state law, you know. Um, but say that there's a problem with your product. All the liability rests with you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm just speaking domestically. Sure. But say that there's, you know, a chemical or something in the fabric or whatever that, that you sourced or whatever that you had sent to the contractor and they sewed it up for you. So, you know, if you're going to get sued, the brand, the manufacturer gets sued because all the liability for the product rests with the manufacturer. So, that's why I will always stress to the nth degree I am not the manufacturer because I don't want to get sued. Mm-hmm. I'm not responsible for whatever fabric you bought. You know,
0: I've contracted you to perform a service. Correct. And I'm and and you cut that fabric, you sew it together in the most simple terms possible. But at the end of the day, that finished product is my responsibility.
1: Exactly. Okay. Now, say that there's a problem, for example, you send off a bunch of uh, product to Saks or whatever, and all the buttons fall off. You know, Saks is not going to say, hey, who sewed this up? I'm going to go get chargebacks from them. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to you. Okay? They're going to go to you and say, hey, all the buttons fell off. We're going to charge you, you know, $5 a garment to sew them back on. All right? Which is really painful. So you would have to go back to your contractor and get you know, redress from Mm that. So, but it's a civil arrangement as opposed to, you know, like, you know, health and safety liability, although it could be with kids wear, you know, sure. sure. So,
0: so rewinding then the first step is to look for a sewing contractor. But beyond that, I mean, there's so many, and I, and I've read tons of the the articles on your blog. Um, you know, I, I think, There's a lot of challenge for these designers when it comes to approaching someone like yourself um, who has a factory, who has the ability to sew the product that I want to get sewn in terms of like, where do they even start and when, how do they know if they're ready to approach you and what do they need to have prepared when they do approach you, you know, what does that whole process look like? And at what point do you say, okay, this is the right time to approach me. And this is when I would start to take you and your product seriously. And we'd really look into getting the ball rolling on getting this made.
1: Okay. You know, it's just so varied. We're very flexible here because educating the customer has always been a strong element of my business from day one. Um, I mean, I can tell you i can oh jeez, I can tell you how it works. I can tell you a, a variety of of examples, but basically you know when you 're ready to write a check you know or to make a, a credit card payment or mm-hmm. whatever you want to do um, it doesn 't work to call somebody up this you know I have this I have people I totally understand why people do this, but they call up somebody like me with this timeline you know oh i want to do this and this and this and this and then they ask you all kinds of questions and then you find out they're nowhere near placing ready to place an order mm-hmm. for e- if, to even have patterns made you know they're just they're just um you know trying to they're interviewing people okay which i totally understand um but i'm just going to, me and everybody else are just going to write you off immediately so what you should realize is that when you hire, when you're going to call somebody on the phone to talk to them potentially about hiring them, I guess the first thing to think of is are you prepared to put down a deposit if the conversation with this person goes well? Mm. Okay. All right. So, and, and there's ways that you can do this and mitigate your risk. Okay. Um, for example, you call me up and say, you know, I've got these, this line of dresses I want to put out and, you know, if, I'm not going to accept a deposit to produce all 10 of your dresses. Okay. If somebody does that, you just run, you know what I mean? Just get somebody else. Um, anybody who's any good is going to say, look, you know, let's just do one, mm. you know, let's just do what, Well, let's just a, a test here because just like you need to test these people to make sure that they are executing according to your parameters and your wishes and you can communicate with them and stuff. Well, we need to make sure that you're you know, not crazy or a fruit loop, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) so it's on both sides, you know, so, but the point is, is that you need to just don't call anybody unless you're prepared to place an order, like, you know, as soon as the work materials arrive, which should be, you should be arranging for that right then, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, hiring three different people to do the same thing, you know, you have one style, and you can farm it out to three different groups, you know. So, and I realize it's expensive, but again, if you are hiring like older generation garmentos who are much more highly skilled and all this other kind of stuff, as opposed to somebody who calls themselves a manufacturer, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a lot cheaper. Mm. It's going to be so much cheaper. It's crazy. Like there's this business I'm not, I don't know. I think they've been in business for seven years but people have great ways of dressing up their experience and you know we have 70 years of combined experience and it's like you know i know these people and they you know that <laughs> they were getting coffee at ralph Lauren; they weren't doing anything else you know what i mean mm-hmm. we all we all know each other or we you know we know of it's a people. small industry <laughs> yeah yeah so you know they have these great websites and everything but for example this one customer is one person approached me and said they wanted me to do this yoga pant for them. Well, a yoga pant is kind of—it's not out of our wheelhouse, but it's kind of a simpler product, and we do more complex stuff. You know, we just like challenging things, and nobody wants to do challenging anymore. So, anyway, so you know, he's wanting to quote. Well, I don't quote because you know I never know what somebody's going to do. I never know if they're going to change they're going to change a feature when I've already finished the pattern for the first design and then they want to change everything. Well, changing the pattern all over again or changing the fit, none of that's free. Mm -hmm. So we have to create a new staff. So I charge hourly and I never know know what the person's going to do or be or anything. So, but, you know, I'm looking at this design and I'm, you know, he's like, well, you know, I got this quote for like $4,600 and I'm like, what? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I just... Couldn't believe it. And apparently that's the going rate among these new companies that we call vampires. Mm. Okay. So, and he said, yeah. And I, I looked at, I looked at, you know, the, he said, oh, look, I'll send you over the quote. So I looked at it and I was like, I was just floored. I said, you know, uh, we would charge, you know, $400, you know. <laughs> or $500 to do this. I was like, I can't even imagine justifying charging almost $5,000 to do this thing. And you know what? He didn't hire me. (laughs) And I've had this happen over and over. People don't hire me because, because they think that, I don't know that we're up to no good or we must not be any good because we're not charging these rates of people that they can find easily in the social space. You know, because old timey garmentos and stuff are m- much more difficult to find if they even have a website.
0: Sure. They're not hanging out on Instagram posting exactly. these perfect behind the scene pictures. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. 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 Yeah. So um okay so you mentioned the time to approach you or or anyone really is when you are ready to write the check. So what does that really mean? Do I have um I mean I, I'd like to get a little bit granular here. Do okay. I have my fabric sourced and I'm I have my design sketched out and I've got a rough idea of what I want to do but I don't have patterns made and I don't have a, a physical sample made um like like really where am I at? And I I come to and I'm like, okay, I have some cash and I have a sketch, but maybe I don't have my buttons picked out or I I do have my buttons. Like where should I really be?
1: Okay. So the first thing I want to do with somebody is, so we're on the same page Is I mean, we get people in varying stages. Mm -hmm. So if you're just at that stage, you're at the conceptual stage. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I'll want from you is an idea of, Well, for one thing, I want to, one thing that will tell me about construction and the type of finishing that's in your product is who you intend to sell to. I mean, you're probably not going to be selling in a store, but if you were going to be selling in a store, what store would that be? And not only what store would that be, but, you know, you look at a rack in a store and they'll have a variety of different brands on that rack. And we call that who you hang with, mm-hmm. okay? All those brands are commensurate. So I'm going to ask you, who do you hang with? And I mean, who is going to be on the same rack as you are at the store, okay? So that will tell me kind of, you know, what family you're in, okay? Okay. And then a lot of people, you know, they they don't know what they want. So it's, it's like, who is your customer? You know, some people have very defined wish lists. Some people are just middle of the market. Some people... That, you know, if they can tell me, um, and then as far as how you express your idea, you know, I'm very open to that. Some people, um, they either have a garment, for example, I need some something to go by fit wise. So if you have, for example, a dress, and you like the way it fits, but it doesn't look anything, it's not, you're not copying that dress. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you like that fit. you have your own ideas of what that looks like, so you would send me the dress, and then you would send me the type of material that you would be using for that dress, not the actual fabric. but for example, if you're going to be making it out a Georgette, you know, say silk George, silk double Georgette, right? Send me a nice poly Georgette, you know mm-hmm. um, I don't want anything in black nothing in black, nothing in dark Navy, nothing in a dark color at all. Even if your final design will be in black and dark colors. Okay. Okay. Because we can't see fitting mistakes in dark colors. So just, Mm. you know, they're just invisible. So we like to see the worst. So that's a light color. If you don't have your buttons or whatever, just send me some buttons that will be similar to what you envision using. Okay. Um, If you can't draw, That's fine. You can go on the web. You can create a collage and, you know, say, I like this collar. I like that sleeve. I like this cuff. I like, you know, that kind of thing. And then if you're somebody who has to be – everybody is so different, okay? Some people have to – I recommend that's just not good enough for them, and I get it. So what they do is I tell them to go to the um, thrift store and to buy product, Okay, Because if they're very particular and nuanced, for example, about certain kinds of seams, and they don't know how to articulate that, then you can go to the store, you can buy a product that's got those types of seams, and you could just – I would recommend that you cut it up. Mm-hmm. And you put those on cards, on index cards, because, again, you're not just hiring me. You're hiring maybe two other people to do the same project. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and if you're hiring old garmentos, they're going to be charging you, you know, $75 to $125 an hour. They're not going to be charging you $5,000, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can say, you know, you could do a rough sketch and you can, you know, number your index cards and put, you know, circles with, you know, you can label each seam in your sketch and say, I want this seam here. It just takes a little creativity. Mm-hmm. I've had. I've had other people buy a garment at the store and then take masking tape, masking tape and, you know, two inch wide masking tape and just lay it down on the garment, you know, with arrows everywhere or whatever. And they actually write on the garment what they want, you know, changes that they want deviations. Mm -hmm. So that works, too.
0: I love the suggestion of cutting up garments and that's something, um, I've done and I've advised to other people. Like if you don't know what something's called or you don't know how to draw it, um, find an example and cut it apart and tape it and give it to, you know, there's nothing better than a real life example of how you want something done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's
0: going to be the easiest for you to follow than trying to figure out what terminology and jargon everyone's using. And does it really mean the same thing?
1: Well, that is the huge problem that we've got right now. There's um, there's something called Gresham's Law, which it's a law of economics in which uh, we, if you have too much bad in the marketplace, it actually chases out the good, mm. okay? So it's kind of the situation we've got right now. We've got a lot of people, for example, that, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, whenever started clothing lines and they failed and they had all these people coming to them and saying, well, hey, how did you do that? And instead of people really realizing, wait a minute, why do I want to get advice from somebody who failed in their business? Mm-hmm. People, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand people's thinking. So before you know it, these people become consultants. Okay? And so, but they're very good at social media. They're very good at you know, putting stuff. I read all these articles out there, and most of them are just terrible. And so they don't use terminology appropriately. So that's really the thing that kind of scares me the most. Doesn't kind of scare me, it does scare me. So somebody uses a term, and many times I cannot tell from context if we're talking about the same thing. You know, they don't, you know, you don't have to be an expert on the difference between a cover stitch and a flat lock. So going to the thrift store and cutting something up. Is a great solution for everybody. Mm-hmm.
0: So, okay, so I, I'm I'm prepared monetarily. Um, that that can be a tough space, though. I think because yeah. I don't even if I if I have to be prepared monetarily, but I have no idea what this is really going to cost. How do I do that? Or you know, a lot of designers raise funds for their first round of production um, on on Kickstarter or something like that. And obviously, before you get into production, there's still a lot of expenses. But how do I even? give a rough estimate of like, okay, how much do I have to have saved? Or maybe I'm getting some money from friends and family or, you know, wherever the cash is coming from. Um, it's almost like the chicken and the egg.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) So I, yeah. So it depends too. Okay. Yeah. those, Those are all very good questions. Um, geez. I, all I know is that I see, I prefer that people basically have very little money, because people who have a lot of money tend to blow a lot more money. Mm. So, so people's spending priorities are much different from what mine would be, much, much, much different. Um, so I mean, so much so, if people want to do certain things, I just say, you know, we can't help you moving forward. You know, if somebody wants to cut, you know, a hundred, five hundred, or a thousand of something, and they don't have any orders, we don't, we don't accept the order. Yeah. So I think that people really need to be, you know, they need to they need to listen to the contractor. You know, if they're telling them, look, don't do this, that means don't do it. So we've got a lot of these new businesses out there that call themselves manufacturers or whatever, and they're more than delighted, you know, because they know that you're a one-shot customer. You won't be back, you know, so – And the thing about us is that we're developing a relationship over the long term. You know, we want you to keep coming back. We don't want to have to continually re-educate you. You know, always have a new customer that always have to bring up to speed, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's just no fun. I mean, there's no continuity. You don't create community. I mean, all that kind of stuff. So, for example, I have one customer who couldn't draw, couldn't do any of that kind of stuff and has no background in it. She's actually in law enforcement. And with a technical product, and so she came to me, and I mean, we did all the product development, all that kind of stuff, and so she's getting ready for her production run, and we have no minimums here, but she comes to me and she says, you know, she has an expensive product, um, suits and stuff, you know, so... She thought she had to have, you know, five hundred suits or two hundred fifty suits and it was like, No. I said, Do you have orders for those? No, I'm just gonna go to the show and show them and stuff and I said, Well, you know, we worked out her what her size range should be, and then from that, you know, her size ratio. Okay, that's how we determine how much a production run should be, mm-hmm. which is a whole other thing we could do a whole podcast on. <laughs> People don't even know how to order right. for production. They don't even know how to order.
0: How many smalls, how many mediums, how many larges when you went to size ratio, just to clarify for listeners. Um, but yeah, continue on.
1: Yeah. So once we worked out her ideal size ratio and her two colorways, I said, okay, the maximum you need is 48 pieces. And she was, she was absolutely blown away. She was prepared to do 10 times that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, I would rather do just the 48 pieces and her, still have enough money to come back, you know, next season, then, you know, have her financially committed to 500 pieces that she would never sell. And the stuff, it dates quickly, you know, fashion has a very short, you know, shelf life. It's, it's, um, you know, it's fragile. So, um, you know, somebody who is really interested in your long-term longevity and they get what you're about and everything is going to want you to do less rather than more. And of course you run into a lot of factories and stuff and they say, you know, you have to have this kind of minimum and that kind of minimum, but it's only because they've been burnt so many times and they've, and it's difficult to deal with a small customer because a lot of times the customer thinks that it's our obligation, you know, to take them by the hand and lead them through everything. But You know, a factory that is small enough to be interested in doing your order is small enough that the owner themselves is working the floor in one way or another. They're either repairing a machine or, you know, maybe sewing. In my case, I'm making patterns and markers and grading. Yeah. So we don't have a dedicated customer service person. So if you need something like that, you need to go to another kind of business. Okay. So... Um, I personally think that you're better served by, you know, people always say, okay, what what advice would you give me? And I give them advice and they do not follow it, you know. (laughs) I say, read this post or read this or do this or do that, and they don't do it. They come back and they ask for more advice, and it's like, you know, I'm all tapped out, you know. So if you don't listen to what people say, and it's not a situation of, you know, people always think, okay, well, I don't want to do that one thing. What's another way to get the same thing? And it's like there, there is no other way.
0: Um, and on that note, I mean, I'll just, and, and I'll definitely put this in the show notes, but your website is this insane um, vault of so much content and education and resource. So I think someone who's trying to come into this. From zero, if they spent a couple weeks and just totally binged on on a lot of the content, um, you know that would put them light years beyond most people, right? And you know something you said to me in in a previous conversation we had was you know, a lot of the times the people who want to do this aren't really serious. They, they say they have this idea and, and I think, you know, people think about this like fantasy lifestyle of like, Oh, I have this, my fashion brand. Um, but the people who are really serious are, are few and far in between. And I don't want to mock anybody who's out there with this amazing idea that wants to do something, but it's a lot of work. There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into this. And, and if you really want to do this seriously, then you as the, you as the manufacturer, not talking to you, Kathleen, but you talking to you out there in the audience, you as the manufacturer, as the brand, the label, the designer need to spend some time and energy investing yourself in getting educated and if you don't right. have the energy to do that, then boy, right. you really don't have the energy to go through the whole process because yeah, that's a drop a, in the bucket. The education it is
1: <laughs> it is a lot of work. People think that they can just hire, they can just present a sketch, and you know, farm everything out. And um, and it's just it's just not you know the thing what designers really do in real life, I would never, ever want that job. Designers in real life have extremely difficult jobs. You know, they're basically, it's not basically, they're they are project managers. And so their job is to keep, you know, everything on the rails and have, and schedule even with buffer in there to make sure that everything comes together at the right time. It's, it, it's all the designer's responsibility and it's, you know, you have to be able to get along with people. You have to be able to get people to work together. Um, you need to you need to have a certain um, amount of confidence in your process and what you're doing and in other people to get them to, for example, to trust each other. Um, like in my case, it's very – like if we're not doing the patterned work but we're just doing the grading and we need to send the markers somewhere else, I really – uh, don't force people to go through you for everything. Put your contractor and your pattern maker together. Let them talk to each other, mm-hmm. and then that way, and that way, I can get, for example, what kind of file formats they have. If they want, you know, do they want um, a cut file? Do they just want to plot? If they want it plotted, do they have a pen plotter? Do they have, you know, um, an inkjet or what kind of file format they're running? What version? And with the designer who wants to control everything, you're forced to go through the designer back and forth, back and forth, and it's just cognitively draining. And so me, I really just don't, I just don't have, I just don't have the energy for it. And so what happens, and a lot of people don't, we start out with good intentions. But if you force us to do that kind of stuff, you know, it's like, Oh man, I got to call them again to get answers to this, and then they have to call the contractor and get the answers, and maybe the contractor is annoyed that they're having to. This person is not using their time efficiently, and so I won't hear back for who knows how long. So your project will get shunted off to the side in favor of somebody else's project where you know, the designer has facilitated the situation in such a way that I can go directly to who I need to talk to in order to move forward on this. I can get an answer quickly, you know?
0: So I'd love to talk a little bit more about like this concept of open, honest, and transparent communication that, that can really facilitate the process and help you get through the, the whole, um, production line faster And I'm sure I, okay, I'm going to make an assumption here that you've heard this a lot, but, um, I'd love to get your thoughts on this is designers who have this brilliant idea, but they want you to sign an NDA before they're willing to do anything. (laughs) Talk a little bit about that and, and that mindset and what that does or doesn't mean for you as a sewing contractor and how that, how that comes off.
1: For, for me now, I'm just grateful you know, when they whip out an NDA to like, oh, okay, that's a bullet I've dodged, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's like next.
0: <laughs> it's, um, there's this whole distrust, I think. And it's yeah, like, you know what, you're I, my customer. I am going to take care of you. You have a very high level of confidentiality. I know that yeah. you talked about, you don't tout who your customers are and share their pictures and, and all that right. stuff, which is great. But designers are so scared and of nothing. their ideas getting stolen.
1: But now, I can kind of understand some of that too, because you yeah. go out on the web and these like i 'm telling you these new companies they put pictures of their customers products out there, they use their customers' names and brands to market their services and that's just that's just slimy. I just can't believe nobody is suing them for that i mean i'm just it's just I'm just shocked that the customer hasn't actually sued them and said, "Hey, you know had a lawyer call them and say, "Hey, remove this you know so that is that is definitely not kosher with. With people, I mean with you know people I would consider who are legitimate and have been doing this, made a career of this, you know um, so yeah, so you know i don't use my customers you know i don't use my customers to market my services, and um, if somebody wants to know whether i'm qualified to do their product, you know they're more than welcome to come out. we actually you't drop in at any time here, well, for the most part, you know <laughs> um. Yeah, we don't have anything to hide. We're very transparent. But um, I have a a, a post on my on my site that talks about um, confidentiality about what our standards are here, um, and why we don't sign NDAs, you know, have some people that are just really, you know, that there's just no way that they're going to move forward without that. Mm -hmm. And, And, and I totally get that. But I can tell you that the people who are most vociferous about that really have a bad reputation um, among most people. And it's that um, a lot from what I've seen, a lot of them are kind of slimy. So if you're not a slimy person, you don't want to be really rigid about that because that's the impression people are going to have. Um, The other thing I see is that people are actually using IP that does not belong to them. Mm. So it's like they want us to sign an NDA so we won't tell on them, you know. Um, and oh, me- because
0: they're actually ripping off yeah. something else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then the other thing is, is people do all kinds of stuff that that you know, people you know, the manufacturer will do all kinds of stuff that is crazy. Um, they want to hold me accountable for the integrity of their IP yet they're posting on social media photographs of and video of their prototypes and all this other kind of stuff. It's like, how, how am I going to be held accountable for that? Because somebody else can take that information and create products um, before you even get to market. Mm-hmm. So I can't be held responsible for that.
0: It's such a delicate dance though, because I think, um, you know, for a lot of, of designers, that's, you know, they're, they're trying to build up hype for what they're doing before they actually go to market. So they're trying to work on building this audience and get everybody really excited about it. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, maybe even doing some Kickstarter campaign to, to help build funds. And so there's this really awkward, delicate dance where it's like, and I've heard this from, um, um, textile designers as well. It's like, how, how much of my design do I put out in the market to show everybody how great it is before I get worried about it just getting ripped off?
1: It's very difficult, and I don't have that answer. Mm-hmm. All I can tell you is to go to somebody's website. Go to somebody's website like mine. Do you see photographs of any of my customers' products there? No. Do you see names of brands that I've worked for? No. No. So that tells you right there. So, And that's another thing. When people are sourcing for services, they'll go and they, they get sucked in by glitzy websites because that's, that's what they're used to. Yeah. But the best providers in the business actually have really you know they have basically a uh, a business card or a site that was like coded in 1995 <laughs> literally literally okay mm-hmm. because they don't need to have a fancy website they're busy you know so it it's kind of a rule of thumb actually in this business if they have a really great website they're usually not you know it's it's the relationship is in the inverse yeah. so But if somebody is saying, hey, I've done work for so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, you know, just think about do you want everybody knowing that they did work for you? Sure. Sure. So.
0: Um, okay, Kathleen, I want to be respectful of your time. We have just a couple minutes left, but I want to ask one other question, um, and get your, your thoughts on this. And you alluded to it a little bit earlier of, you know, if, um, me as the designer, um, let's say I'm working with you on this project and I'm, I'm forcing myself to be the liaison between you and everybody else, which is holding stuff up and kind of pushes my product onto the back burner a little bit because, because it becomes really difficult. Um, but on that same note, you know, I've heard a lot of designers and say that their product got pushed back three months or six yeah. months or whatever the timeline is because the factory got this order from some other bigger, more important, better brand, higher dollar, whatever, however you want to phrase it. And even if they did have a contract, maybe they did or didn't, um, what can they do to not get squashed to the back and and should they have a contract and if the the factory (laughs) the sewing contractor violates that contract that they were supposed to deliver on this date and and it wasn't the designer that held it up you know how what's what's some advice you can give people to sort of navigate those situations well
1: that happens a lot and it happens here
0: okay
1: and um i i think it's um Oh, gosh, how do I say this? Uh, Okay, I can only talk about it in terms of my own experience, okay? okay? So I'm not saying that that designers are not legitimate in in their beefs because I've seen it. At the same time, I don't think that they're being wholly honest, okay? Mm -hmm. So we get a job in, and we're scheduling things, okay? We have these time slots that are available for, that we've committed to, okay? So – we need, for example, your fabric by X date, okay? We, we need it that day, mm-hmm. or maybe we've got a day or two leeway, but if you call me the day that the fabric is supposed to be here and then you say I'm sending it, you know, what's going to happen is I had your job scheduled. I had it scheduled to be cut, and then it was going to be shade marked, and then we were going to be fusing it, and now all of a sudden my stitchers don't have any work, they don't have any work. So that means I have to send people. I'm probably the only person. I'm the only person I know who actually has my stitchers on salary. Mm. Okay. Not, not piecework, not hourly. They're on salary. Mm. Okay. So that's the only way that I can get good people and keep them is to guarantee them income. Sure. So what am I going to do? So I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the person who was behind you for example, maybe you had just a small order, you know, 50 pieces. Well, you know, there's this other order that was scheduled after yours, but they already had the fabric here. So what am I going to do? Am I going to put my people, I'm going to take a hit on putting, you know, all these people out of work for a week, which means I'm paying for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Or am I going to move this other guy's job in front of yours with a thousand pieces that will take three weeks to finish? You tell me.
0: It's a logical business decision, there.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, it, and 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 people will think, well, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, they think, oh, well, I just forgot my labels. That's no big deal. Like, for example, there's one product that's here that is delayed by like six weeks. Okay because it's uh, it's kind of hard to describe it, but um, it's got this large distinctive label that unfortunately is the very first step in the process. Mm-hmm. We we can't, the placement of it is such that we have to sew on the label before we do anything else. But he just thought, you know, he's concentrated on getting the fabric here and, and this other stuff, but the label, he didn't start ordering it until after the fabric was already here. And then he's arguing with his vendor in L.A., because the guy advertises, oh, I can get you labels in 48 hours. Sure. Okay. And, and no, because the guy has it done in China. <laughs> okay. That's in some cases he can get it in 48 hours. And if you're willing to, to pay express international shipping, right? So there's lots of qualifiers. So we had to move other jobs in front of his. And, you know, we make, we make suits, for goodness sakes. You know, so I can't, you know, we have two long cutting tables and everything. But this all this bundling and sorting of all these products and stuff takes up a lot of space. I don't have room to even cut your product, much less put it in the sewing line. And we have we have a lot of machines and we're very flexible. We're like we're very modular. For example, all of our machines are on casters. Okay, so what we actually do is every time we work on a product, we actually we redesign our sewing line for every single product, mm-hmm. which I don't know anybody else who does that either. So we'll pull out all of these machines and put on all new machines based on whatever your product requires. Okay. So in order for me to switch products, you know, to, to start working on your product versus this other product, if they're too far apart, we, we can't do it.
0: So what I hear as the biggest takeaway, if I were really going to think about this as as a designer, is one, understanding the complexity of scheduling a production line and all the different moving pieces and parts that go into that and being respectful of that. And then two, realizing how one tiny thing, one yeah. day because I I forgot to order the labels or whatever happened um, throws that whole thing out of whack. And I have to understand and be sensitive to that. Um, Not
1: so, understand it be sensitive. I mean, it's, it's, it's an imperative, yeah, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and so on some level, you know, would it be wise of me to ask you for advice and say, let's say I've come to you, I, I've hired you as my sewing contractor. We're moving forward. I wrote the check. And... Maybe I didn't know that the label had to be the first thing to, to be sewn on because I didn't really understand the logistics of putting the garment together. So if I sat down with you and said, hey, Kathleen, like tell me the order priority of getting all these things ordered and to you and help you say, okay, put the list of 10 things together and the labels are really the first thing I do because everything else is pending on that. Would that be a wise way to go about it?
1: Uh, as long as you're prepared to pay for it.
0: You mean in terms of preparing to pay for your time for you to help me put it together?
1: Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Because that's assumed to be your job. Sure. You know, I mean, because you need to just have all all the stuff that goes into your product needs to, it just needs to be here for us to start. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you can get a waiver from the contractor and they say, well, no, you know, we don't, we're not going to be using the cuffs or something until, you know, we've got a week before we'd need those. But you would need to get somebody to say, okay, that's Okay.
0: Okay. Otherwise, go into it being prepared, just knowing I need to have everything ready to go right now and not right. give you something a week later, halfway through the production line.
1: Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And then understand that, I mean, people don't see we have so many surprises. You know, we think we understand each other. We think we've communicated, you know, things to people and there just doesn't seem to be the same understanding of the imperative, for example, like, uh. You know, the designer in sampling, for example, in site sampling, we've made, um, you know, these garments and the fabric's been 55, 56 inches wide or whatever. There's always a variation, okay? Sure. And Sure. And then for production, we're going to be doing, you know, three colorways. So I tell the designer, okay, make sure that all the yardage has the same fabric width. Well, they get out there shopping or whatever in the marketplace, and, and then they see something. I, I don't understand the reasoning, okay? But they just decide they make these purchasing decisions and they'll get fabric that's you know a lot either a lot wider or a lot narrower and what they don't understand is that they've tripled you know i gave people a price okay say it was you know 20 25 dollars you know to do this thing what they don't understand is that they've tripled my cutting costs immediately you know right off the top because i cannot cut 55 inch white fabric with 45 inch white fabric. I was counting on being able to stack all the colors all. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay, now I have to make a new marker, which wasn't in the budget. You know, we have to have. I, I mean, it's just, com- it's just, com- it just completely throws everything off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's that. So now we actually, because I don't even know, especially if it's somebody's first run, they've never done this before. So we actually charge for cutting separately. And I just am on pins and needles until the stuff comes in, because I never know what's going to happen, you know, and then the fabric, you know, I want to know where people are getting their fabric, not because I'm nosy, not because I want to copy you, not because, you know, I want to know your sources. It's just that some suppliers are known to be better than others okay um and some like it's a lot of people get their fabric from jobbers and the stuff comes in it's like i tell people don't get jobber fabric okay you know you don't have continuity there's a lot of flaws oh no this is first quality and it's just overstock or whatever and i get it in and you know what the face of the fabric is on the outside of the roll. I know it's a jobber, mm. and I know the stuff has already been unrolled once, and it's already been inspected, and it was already rejected by somebody who has a lot more chops, okay? So I already know we're going to have trouble, and so I told you you needed, you know, 200 yards, and maybe there's only 150 usable, you know? But I committed to making the size of this contract was say, say it was $10,000, now, We're losing 25% of that lot because of this bad fabric. So now we're looking at $7,500. But I'm putting in just as much effort.
0: And you have to pick through the fabric.
1: So do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So so this is why a lot of people don't want to work with small companies because they don't – they're told, do X thing. But the designer goes and does what they want to do anyway, Mm -hmm. you know. And we don't find out until the fabric actually comes here. And we're like, oh, man – You know, because all of a sudden we're we're getting we're getting this huge pay cut, you know, and then or we can't do the job and we have to move in somebody else's job. So if we've got a job that's got all these warts on it, yeah, it's going to get delayed. It's going to get delayed. We're slow and we have the patience to deal with with every wart that has to be excised, you know, as we come to it. So,
0: so listen to what Kathleen says. <laughs> she knows what she's doing and take her advice and guidance. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know that that's come up a couple of times in the conversation and it's something that, um, you know, I've experienced with people as well as you give them all this great advice and these great ideas and this great, these great suggestions and guidance and they, don't act on it or they go and do something completely different. Um, and that's obviously something that, that happens anywhere, anytime and is something that yes. we can't train people to do. We can't ingrain. I mean, on some level, right. like it's human nature and, and it just is a personality thing. Um, and I've, I've been guilty of it too. I won't I won't lie. Um, but, but good to be mindfully reminded of that. Um, work with professionals and, and take the advice and the guidance they give you and things will tend to go more smoothly yeah so um Kathleen, this has been fantastic. um please let everybody know where they can find more information about you and everything that you do.
1: Um I have a website it's um it's the most uh has it's it's', it's, it's basically an internet um I don't know it's a repository of information um that's used by established companies and uh to train i don't know how to explain it just it's it's just yeah go ahead it's an institution it's an encyclopedia of of verifiable genuine information okay and that's fashion-incubator.com fashion-incubator.com and if you go into the archives it's there's a you know across the nav bar you can see there's um the archives. You can just kind of scroll through, through, through there. I don't um, update it very much recently since we opened the factory and just too busy. But um, there's about three thousand pages of in-depth information. Solid in-depth information. Um, I mean, I know at one point I think I was looking at one post. It was seemed a little long to me, and it turned out to be eleven pages <laughs> printed. 11 printed pages long. So these are not like bullet, short bullet point lists or whatever, but if you really want to know what to do and how to do it, you dive deep. And then, um, I wrote a book. I wrote the very first book, um, that there ever was on how to start, um, a company like this, you know, and it's, um, you know, it's from somebody who's been in the business for 37 years. Um, and you can get that. It's a little dated, but the core information with the focus on production and all and how to prepare for production um, is solid. There still hasn't been equaled. And then we have uh, a private forum, and it's very cheap to join, but you do have to read the book. Uh, you have to buy a new copy to get in your first year free. Um, and it's very cheap, but um, it's very inexpensive. Yeah. And but it's more of a community of people, and uh, you have to use your real name. Um, and we have do have some famous people on there who use their real name. <laughs> um, and then what else? Then we do the boot camp, and then we also do rapid product development. I do a lot of training. For example, people come here and they want to see how to. They want to set up their own factory. or They want to, you know. Um, tour contractor facilities, what should they be looking for? So we'll walk through their product. For example, they'll bring their product and I'll say, okay, they need to have this kind of machine. This is what it does. This is what a good factory has. I explain, for example, the amenities that we have in here, feed rail. I say if they don't have this kind of stuff, then they're not a real contractor. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't know you know, it's a small business, and you like them, and they're nice, but that doesn't mean that they're a good fit for you. So I show people. So people come here and do that, and then sometimes people come, and they just want to wanna see what it's like to be in a factory. So we actually have volunteer projects. We we make some products for um, that we donate to the animal shelter. And so people can actually – I've had customers come, and they just want to sew all day, and we let them do that, yeah. you know?
0: Those are priceless learning experiences.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we have a nice factory. You know, we remodeled the entire thing. Um, You know, we put in skylights. It's light. It didn't have heat and air. We've got heat and air. We have a a complete kitchen, you know, with a stove. And so uh, we do a lot of cooking in here and it's a nice environment. And um, right now, as we speak, we're remodeling the exterior and we're going to have a big mural painted out front. We've got new windows, new overhead doors, restucco. We're going to get the mural. And then we're going to have solar. Oh, so wow. I think So I think we'll be the um, probably the most um, energy-efficient small factory in the United States.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and I, I I want to give an extra shout-out to the book because um, I know I emailed you about this. But I read your book oh boy, well over 10 years ago. And it was one of the first books that I ever read. Um, and and it is the best. I think it runs about $60. and It's the best $60 you'll ever get, you'll ever spend to kind of build your foundation and get your knowledge up to speed. Um, and then joining the community is, is priceless being, being engaged with other people who are on a similar track as you are, and just getting to have those conversations to help get yourself further along. So, um, a big shout out to that and everything you're doing. And I'll put links to all of this in the show notes. Um, but thank you so much, Kathleen. This has been phenomenal. You're a genuine wealth of knowledge, and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and share this with everybody.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure.
0: Awesome. And
1: don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to contact us. If you think we could do some work for you, we like... You know, we like interesting projects and we like nice people.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And make sure when you email Kathleen, um, do a little bit of research first and, and you're looking for a sewing contractor, not a manufacturer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you. Yep, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Episode 15 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com 15. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, it helps the show a lot and makes the podcast easier for people to discover. It's super easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfcnetworkcom slash review to leave your rating. Thanks for your support and help.